And now, back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we're back. The time 6.08. Let me go to line number one and talk with Deborah in Oakland. Deborah, what's your thoughts about our topic today? Oh, Jesse. Um, You're yawning. Yes and no. I say yes to the gated communities because we don't value freedom. We deserve to lose it. Okay. Because we don't value it. And what we value is what we live by. And then you say no to what? I say no. I would not like to see that. Oh, oh okay. I think that our society is going that way because we don't honor God and put him first in our lives. And I'm not ashamed of my God, and I will never be ashamed of him. Mm-hmm. And I pray with all my heart that he will never be ashamed of me. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, the answer is really poignant. Uh, we, I think it's um, the Proverbs that puts it like this. It's actually the Psalms. Whosoever shall forget God, the nation that forgets God will be turned into hell. So it's very possible, and as hard as a pill as that is to swallow, that the notion that we don't value our freedoms uh, may really be at the foundation of a lot of our problems in our culture. But like Diane said, it's very complex. It's not just the central idea that, you know, we've taken God out of, out of, out of, um, you know, I know it's more complex. It's very, very complex. But at the foundation, a Christian worldview would say um, exactly what Amos said. And that's this. Uh, If there be evil in the city, hath not the Lord done it. And whenever the Lord allows evil in the city, He's blowing a trumpet to get our attention. That's now, Christians right. were gonna, are going to have to be able to take that prophecy and understand it in a way by which they can communicate and dialogue with our fellow citizens about the need to recognize God as essential to us as the air we breathe. We're going to have to find a way to convince our world of that if we want to be able to have the blessings of freedom or they're going to be continually taken away. Jesse, but we are the trumpet. Right, but see, well, not everybody's blowing the trumpet, but believers that are yeah, called to do so that, should. The ones that are, are trumpets. Oh, oh, without a doubt. And, Whether they want to be or not, they are. Yeah, well, uh, if we open up our mouths and we talk to people, engage them in these matters, and try to point them to the God that actually even gives them bright breath, life, health, and strength, then we will be doing what God told us. And he told us that in Ezekiel 33. And Ezekiel 3, son of man, I have given you to be a watchman over the house of Israel. Whenever Israel sins, warn them from me. And if you warn them from me, their blood will be on their own head. But if you do not warn them, then their blood is on your hands. So you are also bringing another salient point that we have to actually uh, take into consideration as Christians. That's why Diane was saying we do need to find a tactful and a practical way to get involved on uh, political levels in order that we insert this dialogue or this this uh, form of conversation into the dialogue. Christians ought to be able to tell our um, fellow man that without God, um, it's impossible for us to have peace. If God takes away peace, there's no way that peace can occur. If God allows war, all we're going to have is war. And we already know all too well that God will allow that to get our attention. We know that. Well, well, Jesse, 
regardless of whether or not people want to do this, they have to, if they truly love God, because we have a responsibility to all of our citizens. I agree. I agree. And we will continue doing it by way of conversations like we're having right now on the phone. Hopefully people are getting it and maybe they'll know how to actually find that point of weakness in their own life by which they know that the walls are broken down because we really can't tell the world to do anything that we aren't doing for our own selves first. So we need to yes, take care of it at home. Examples. Exactly. 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 Listen, thank you for your call and contribution on this very serious and very sobering issue. Let's see. I got all women so far. (laughs) Let me move to line number three and talk to Janelle in San Jose. Janelle, are you there? Yes, Pastor Jesse, but it's Jamel. It's yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I got a um, I got a misspelling here. Jamel. Yes, sir. What's going on? Nothing much. I just wanted to weigh in because I remember 26 years ago, growing up in Brooklyn, New York, the high school that I attended, we had to have metal detectors. Right. Um, Because we had a call in buying like incident happened. And, you know, the community said, listen, we got to make sure our kids are protected. Right. But what was interesting is at that time, I was very against being searched and putting my backpack and my body through a metal detector. And I remember on a daily basis, I would argue with the security guards and I would tell my fellow students, do you understand that in other communities, they're not doing this right. to, to other people? Right. So why are we just... Um, being subject to a inmate prison system paradigm when it's not happening in other communities. And that's exactly what I would tell my fellow students. I said, this is nothing more than a precursor right. training us right. to go to prison. Right. And, and um, it would fall on deaf ears. And what made me so have so much conviction about it was just six months prior to attending Thomas Jefferson High School, In Brooklyn, I had the good fortune of attending a local high school here in San Jose, California, called Lee High School. Yeah. And so I I, I had these two, just completely two different experiences, and I would would just tell my fellow classmates, this is not right. The school that I just attended for six months in San Jose, California, is nothing like this. Right. But unfortunately, unfortunately, you know, um, they would say, all right, you know, Malcolm X, put your bag in through the metal detector, let's go, right? So, you know, but 26 years later, having now children of my own, I, I'm i kind of torn. Right. I, 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 I want my kids to be protected because we are living in a day where, you know, we're fierce. Well, here's the thing. Let's let's take this up. I wasn't going to take it up. Um, if I did take it up, I was only going to take it up, Jamel, if there was someone that actually was astute enough to understand the complexity of this paradigm, having already started many, many dec- decades ago relative to poor communities and largely African-American communities. Because one of the things I was saying to Diane, I don't know if you caught Diane's very eloquent observation of the necessity of it coming from, from Israel, right? 
Right. Did you catch her? I, and I, I did catch her, and I, I've been to Israel. Right. I, yeah, you know I know that, right? Yeah, um, yeah, and, yeah. And, and actually, I, I already had in my uh, purview that whole scenario, and I've been talking to us here in America for years about the Israel-America um, uh, parallelisms and, and, um, and, 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 and sort of paradigm of the uh, Old Testament Jerusalem-Judah uh, sisterhood. I, I, I see us going that way for a lot of reasons um, that are beyond the scope of time for us to develop here. But certainly, um, I already know the arguments around why many um, African-American communities and black black people at large would push back against this kind of model because we know that any kind of um, sort of prison system, uh, a, a, a judicial uh, format, law enforcement paradigm that the government wants to implement, they almost always implement it targeting poor communities, uh, people of color, African-Americans, and, and, and beyond in order to actually achieve other agendas, right? That's correct. That's a fundamental reality that we can't get away from. And people who are listening to this program who love me, who are non-black, who don't agree with me, who have, you know, maybe a, a perspective that really doesn't include this this data and information that I know and, you know, experientially um, would want to push back against this perspective. But since you brought it brought it up. And once you began to talk about it, Jamil, I, I said, well, yeah, that's going to be part of the narrative debate once this becomes much more of a national and centrist uh, conversation, because black people will be talking about how, well, once you implement it, are you going to start in the white neighborhoods? Are you going to start in the more prestigious schools, in the more prestigious neighborhoods? Are you going to start in Silicon Valley Versus West Oakland or versus, you know, uh, Hunter's Point or versus uh, some of the more um, uh, obviously uh, challenged neighborhoods. Um, and that's going to be where we begin to have what I said to Diane, debates and discussions that can be sidetracked if we're not careful about discussing these things uh, from a really um, thoughtful and prudent and, for me, Jamel, biblical worldview, as sympathetic as I am to your experience and being very much aware of that process as a black man. Also, I am ready to engage my black brothers and sisters around it, but I'm not going to yield to or succumb to um, the sort of knee-jerk reaction that this is just a targeted uh, scheme against black people, because that really won't do me any good coming from a biblical worldview. I really am trying to hold an interest all human beings relative to a, a, a theater of war that I see presently occurring and developing that, that does not really care about what color you are. And when you brought up the subject of, of children, of course, you know, that's where I'm at. I'm at grandchildren mode uh, with that kind of sympathy. Uh, yeah, I'm ready to lean into that direction, too. Um, just for their sake. I'm, I'm ready for them to be able to have a school environment that if something should occur in their school, right, right. It, it won't be because the school was living with a sort of, um, you know, rose-colored uh, view of, of freedom and liberty that basically amounted to being lazy and careless about what we all know in the media has a high potential at any given time in any school setting because of social media, because a person can go on and, and look at social media, get pumped up by some uh, conversation online and then copycat what they've seen down the line in even your best schools. 
Right. So I'm wondering how we are going to advance the conversation on two levels where it's equi- equitably done, where it's done, where it's not targeting poor communities, because I'm not for that. But then also for us to have that conversation like you and I are having, if you and I were sitting across the table and drinking a cup of coffee or what have you and discussing this with our kids, your kids, my grandkids, how would you and I discuss it from a biblical standpoint? That's what I want to be able to do in order to have the glory of God frame the discussion in a way that as we deal with what vacuums are leading to these kinds of dilemmas, the answer to those vacuums have to be biblical. They have to be theological. They have to be God-oriented. They really do. Don't you think so? I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Well, I just want to close with this with this really quick story. So even in, in spite of having the metal detectors in place at Thomas Jefferson High School, I remember um, one day I was descending down the steps in the hall. I was walking down the steps, and <clears throat> I bumped this kid's shoulder. Yeah. And it hurt me. He looked at me, and he wanted me to apologize, and I gave him a stoic look, and I wouldn't apologize. And then he pulled out a three fifty seven magnet. Right. And then I apologized. And so I shared that to say, even with metal detectors. Yep. Even with metal detectors. Right. But here's the point. A metal detector was there. He just got by. And, and yes, he did. Yes, he did. Right. So we know that the metal detector is not God, but it is the answer to as much human responsibility as we can employ. And yet we're going to still have to face the danger if it gets past those measures. Right. That's right. But at I least we can. I just. Oh, I, 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 I got you, brother. I got you. It's not a fantasy. Yeah, it's totally. Not, Blessings, man. Right. Good to hear from you, by the way. Got to take a break. Great calls. We'll answer more on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we're back. The time 625. Let's go to line number one and talk with Angela in Oakland. Angela, are you there? Uh, yes. Uh, so um, you're going to have to cut. Hold on. You're going to have to cut your radio down. Okay. Because uh, I don't like to hear myself. I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, it's okay. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. What's your question, observation, or comment? Yeah, I just had some comments. Um, you know, I think that Christians everywhere have really just gotten so busy in life that, um, you know, it's we have let our guard down, and we are just getting so distracted by things that we are not doing what we're, what God wants us to do, you know? And, and I think that all these problems, it, it starts in the home. It starts in the home with discipleship, discipling our kids. And what's so hard is that all these kids, you know, thousands and millions of kids are going to schools and they're getting indoctrinated. They're getting indoctrinated where there is no God. Mm-hmm. And so there is no Ten Commandments. And so nothing is wrong and nothing is, everything is permissible. Mm-hmm. And so there, there is no value for life. Right. You know, so it's, it's, it's very sad that, you know, our, our families are, are just 
I just, I see around, you know, like, I homeschool. Uh-huh. And I've seen, um, we went down to the state capitol to fight for the right of homeschooling. Mm-hmm. You know, and there was thousands of people that showed up. I mean, you couldn't even walk down the hall. There was thousands of people lined up. And it was awesome. It was awesome that everybody stood up together for this cause. You know, mm-hmm. and, um, but it's, it's just, but then everything else, I don't see, I don't see us doing that, okay. you know? It's kind of like in the Bible, you know, over and over again, you know, the, you know, you see that people, the Israelites, they, they turn away to serve their false gods, and then God turns them over to, um, to be enslaved. Right. And then they cry out. Right. And then they, they say, oh, Lord, help us, help us, and then he, he sets them free. And then it just keeps going over and over and over and over again, you know? Right. So why shouldn't it be any different for us? It shouldn't. That's what I'm saying. We, we are so distracted as Christians. No, what I'm saying we is, need, what I'm uh-huh. saying, Angela, why should we think that we should be better uh-huh. than Israel? Turn it off. Turn off. We're not. We're all the same. Right. We so, all fall short of the glory of God. And that's what I'm saying. We need to wake up. We right. need to come together and put all our differences aside and um, and just, you know, seek the Lord, seek His Word, and, and do, you know, don't make this, this place our home. I agree. So not our home. I you agree. I mean? we get, we're too comfortable. I think we're so far that we don't even realize it, you know? Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to actually parse. I'm going to parse what you're saying, because when you when you when you spoke your opening conversation, I started thinking about all the people I know, and all the people that I know who are involved in different aspects of social life. All the believers I know. So what I know is that the your basic opening proposition was overgeneralized. It was not really a valid statement. Your assertion that, um, you know, Christians everywhere are kind of lazy and are not doing what they should do. That's an assertion that you actually cannot um, actually fully validate or affirm. You just can't do that. It might appear that way, but that's only because that's the scope of your perception and experience. So here's how I'm going to put it, that um, what's going on in our society, we all have to own it together, believer and non-believer. We all have to own it. Um, That's the way that God would have us to, to, to view it. Secondly, there are multitudes of really, really good Christian communities that are being extremely responsible, Angela, civilly, domestically, and spiritually. Civilly, meaning that they are obeying the laws of the land, working within the framework of their constitutional freedoms to do what they believe is best in terms of how to live their lives and raise their kids. I have homeschooled my kids. I have eight kids, and they're all grown now. I've, we've done homeschooling. We have done public schooling. We wanted to do both in order to experience what it's like when you are poor, because we were, uh, and could not afford Christian school, which we couldn't. 
and whether or not we can negotiate raising our kids in a community of non-believers and still be effective as as believers. And we were able to. What we discovered also, uh, Angela, was that within the framework of the public school system, as bad as it is, there were also warrior Christian families that were actually negotiating how to raise their kids in Christ while letting them also know what it's like to live among unbelievers, which is a choice that we have. You have the choice of uh, isolating and protecting, insulating and protecting your kids from uh, a godless community only for a short period of time. Uh, And if you can afford it, if mama is not single, like a lot of Christian mothers are single and can't stay home with their kids, um, you know, unfortunately, that's the case. Uh, or a husband and wife just cannot both make it on their incomes. They've got to put their kids in public school because it is a ton of money to put them in private school, Christian school, or to have daycare. Our circumstances do not allow for the kind of luxury you may even be having at this present time with your kids. And so I know believers in all sorts of scenarios doing the absolute best that they can. And they actually get involved on political levels. They are quiet about it, but they are definitely involved as much as they possibly can be. So here's the way that I would frame it. If I were um, wanting to encourage you to take a much more balanced approach to um, the church's um, uh, weaknesses and lack of um, visible uh, and evidential impact in our culture. Uh, please understand that it's not across the board that we are all lazy and just kind of hanging out. That's not true. We got a lot of good ones in public schools. My daughter is a believer. She is a teacher in a public school, and she she holds a biblical worldview, and she tries to teach the young people in spite of the policies in her secular public school system Uh, she tries to implement, seriously implement biblical principles where she can. I know a lot of teachers like that. I'm the pastor of several of them in our own church for whom we pray for every Tuesday that God would use them to speak to and minister to kids in that context. And there are a lot of Christians in those school settings. The overall condition is deplorable. But when we take the time to parse it, what we recognize is, In the same way that you saw thousands of homeschooling advocates at Sacramento. Remember you said that? She's gone. Did you go, Angela? I'm here. Did you you remember you said that? Yeah. But my my premise is not, I'm not defending, you know, look at what us homeschoolers do. Don't take that wrong. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. What What I was saying is that your opening statement created a false premise that I wanted to make sure that you understood that it's not good for us individually or publicly to kind of just look around and think that we see clearly just because we see within the limited scope of our own periphery. I'm saying to you that a lot of believers are doing a lot of things all over the place. It's not as obvious as it should be. And yet we still have to do more. Yeah, and that's and that's what I was saying. Okay. That that we have to do more. Right. On on both sides. Right. I wasn't I wasn't trying to ask, you know, sound like, you know, I wasn't balanced because I try to be balanced. I understand, I, I understand but I it didn't it didn't come off yeah. that way. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so now uh, just, go ahead on. Oh, I was just saying that, you know, 
the family structure, once the family structure, you know, collapses. Yeah. Then, you know, but isn't there a saying once the family goes, then the culture goes or the. No, that's right. No, that's right. That's right. And and before you go, here's what I want to say, because I've been dealing with all these issues for, for like on the radio here for 12 years minimum. So here's what I want to say, because I just feel responsible for um, all of these conditions that believers are in. If we happen to be a family um, where there is a husband and wife, uh, and I don't know if that's the case with you. Do you have a husband in the home? Yes. Okay, right. If you happen to have a husband in the home and your husband is a believer, is he a believer? Right. And you guys are on the same page about homeschool, homeschooling your kids, right? Yes. Right. So you are actually um, extra blessed because you got lots of believing sisters out there that don't have the support or help that you do. And so right. and so the moment we start, you know, actually isolating the particular specific entities like the breakdown in the home, when we do it, Angela, we have to do it with a broad enough sensitivity not as so as not to alienate other well-meaning believing families that are broken for all sorts of reasons and not able to actually live out the paradigm that you and I do. Um, Cause I happen to have a believing wife that does not have to be the case. I happen to happen to have believing children that does not have to be the case. And I do know a lot of uh, single parents, men and women that are doing a valiant job of raising their kids, but their kids are not going to, um, have the luxury of being homeschooled because mama got to work and they still go to a great church and they still have great attitudes and the skill kids still do grow up and prosper. And, you know, they do know the ideal model. So what we want to do is we want to say there is an ideal that God wants us to aim towards. And everyone that's not at that ideal. If they're a true believer, we want them to get there and we're praying for them to get there because the ideal is the best for us. But God can and does work with us in all of the different broken and less ideal situations that are there because that's just the nature of reality. Right. And I, I think you totally misunderstood me. (laughs) I'll let you know, Angela, you know what I'll do? I'll let somebody else prove that. I don't think so. I'm I'm a father, and I, I'm completely in the wheelhouse of what you're saying. But I, what I wanted to do was just make sure that you understood that you're talking to thousands of believers that are listening right now. Mm-hmm. You're talking to thousands of believers, and they are all aware of the biblical ideals, and yet they are all in different situations. And they would call in, and they would say to Angela, Angela is speaking from an ideal, but Angela doesn't have an awareness of the struggles that I have as a single mom or a single dad um, or a poor couple who don't have the ability to homeschool, et cetera, et cetera, just a litany of things. And yet they do things in other contexts, like you may have the freedom not to homeschool, but some of us didn't. And so now we're in public schools. What are we going to do? We're going to voice our opinions in those public schools. We're going to go to the meetings. We're going to yes, sit on sit on the board. That's what I was saying, that we have to all come together, put our differences aside, and and come together as Christians, as believers, because families are are falling apart, whether single families, mother and father families. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying, that we we not only have to rally together to fight for homeschooling, but we have to rally together to fight for what 
God wants us to fight for, sharing the gospel. Agreed. You know, because these people that are that are shooting, they don't see a life. They don't see a future. They they what they're being taught in schools is that, you know, there's no soul. We're just we're just, you know, nothing. You know, they're being taught evolution, then they'll be a top big thing and, and you know, like if it's fact. Agreed. And so, you know, that's that's what I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. I wasn't Right. But, right. I understand. I, my daughter, you know, has my grandkids in a public school. So I I by no means expect everybody to homeschool. I totally understand that so, so what you what you probably meant right so i think what you probably well yeah it's, it's it could have been simplified by this we do have to make sure that we find a way to make the gospel important in all of those contexts right yes yeah and and if we can do that then it will that's, what, that's the only thing that's going to help i think so too i mean you know, that's the only thing that's going to help i agree that's and, all. and we got to come together around the gospel bless you yes I'm way overdue. Got to take a break. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we're back. We've got one line open if you want to chime in on our topic. one 888 I got you, Angela. Just I think about all these believers. You know, when you're a new believer, we do live in a kind of ideal world. And then as you grow older, you realize that God is working in a ton of different places, different ways. Coming together really does require us being faithful where we are. Uh, And there's a day coming. I'm just going to share this before I deal with my last few callers. Uh, Publicly, we will never come together. Just get rid of that in your mind. We don't even have to. God has us scattered abroad like good seed all over planet Earth. And we're doing what God has called us to do in the quiet, private places in order to impact uh, our communities locally. But there's a great gathering coming one day. And actually, in that great gathering of coming one day, when Christ returns to take home his bride, his church, his body of, of, of people from every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue, on that day, he will give the assessment of how well we have done. If we look for any other day of a universal ecumenical gathering, it will be a lie. Because men lie, even Christian men and women lie. We'll lie and boast about what we're doing. And we'll lie and boast about how much we've accomplished. We lie about how many people we convert. We lie about how well we get this done, that done. A bunch of lies go on between (laughs) now and Jesus coming. But when Christ comes, he's going to shed all of the lies, all of the errors, all of the falsehoods. And he's going to give a right appraisal. And uh, every man's work shall be judged. So you can boast now and talk about what you're doing. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter what I do. doesn't matter what you do in terms of us talking. Because the person we got to answer to is the master. And when he shows up, he's going to show us people who have worked in his vineyard that we never knew about, we never paid any attention to, while we were clamoring for, you know, come out and show yourself. And really, we don't win the world by... Uh, the massive numbers of public Christians gathering in stadiums. We've been doing that for decades. It's not how it's done. It didn't even work in Jesus' day. It didn't work in the Apostles' day. The church never wins it that way. The church is not going to win the world to Christ. It's not going to happen. But it can influence its society so that we can see men and women come to Christ 
but it's going to be on a local level. God knows when we have too many numbers, we get proud. That's why he told Gideon, not 30,000, 300. And let them be desperate men who know how to watch while they, while they drink their water. Because we start boasting. And no flesh will glory in God's sight. No flesh. I don't care. We raise up pastors, lo and behold, they fall. We puff up numbers, lo and behold, when we get behind the scene. Not true. You don't have 5,000 members in your church. You only got 2,000. See what I'm saying? We got to be very careful that our value systems are really rooted in biblical principles. And what Christ says is, just go about your work quietly. Pray in secret. I'll honor you openly. Give your alms. Don't boast about how much you give, do, or any of that. All of that will get taken care of on the last day. You mothers who are working hard to raise your kids, God sees you. You children who are believers who are working hard to get good grades and sometimes not always making the grades you want, God sees you. Don't worry about it. God will bless you. Don't necessarily try to shine down here. Too many Christians are all in the shining down here. Wait until the sun appears, and then you'll shine with him. Let me go to line number four right quick and talk with Misty in San Francisco. Misty, what about this warfare? Oh, boy. Well, coming straight to you from the front lines, been in battle 24-7. I just want to say, in reference to what Angela said, Yeah. I am confirming what she's saying and what she what she meant to say, I believe, from her heart, is that Christians in general need to wake up. It's not what we do in church that makes I mean okay, and you and then what happens is when when somebody re- refers to church and talks about how Christians are responding or acting, you always come up in a defensive manner. And then I think that's kinda of harmful to her spirit because I think what she was saying, it captures my spirit and what I've seen. You're, you're correct in saying that things are going to happen in the trenches. Things are going to happen in the secret places. Things are going to happen with the grandma prayer warriors. Things are going to ha- But across the board, we're not going to come together when these big protests only do so much. Where people learn and become warriors and things change is in persecution and in suffering. That is when your spirit is fighting a battle. That is when God is teaching you different things, cutting things down, cutting things off, tearing things up, every kind of which way that you can't even want to believe. But the point of the matter is this. If the save rate in the Bay Area is still 3%, the church is not touching that revival. Church is doing church. Church does not even step out often to help a saint. I know myself personally from experience, not speaking about one church, not speaking about two churches, not speaking about a certain type, a certain denomination, a certain... They're, they're having Bible studies, they're trying to, to learn something, getting girded up in something, but that's not reality. Reality is when I call you from emergency room at 3 a.m., who shows up? Nobody. Reality is when somebody needs you and they don't have a family and they're not invited over to dinner. Reality is in the reality of the actions of what we're doing. When I walk by the piece of trash for an hour and there's trash all over the floor and I'm the one with an injury at Walgreens, but I'm the one picking up the trash because no one else will do it. 
Reality is the action that each person is taking. And what I have seen in the churches, which is sad to my heart, they're having some coffee, they're talking about the message, their heart was lifted up, which is good, we're worshiping God, which is good, but then they got to go, they're checking their watch, they got to go get the game, they got to be out by one. Hey, if somebody wants to talk to you for three hours, guess what? You're not going to the game. You're going to sit and talk to that person that needs you for three hours. The church is not doing it. There are missionaries. There are people in the front lines. There are people in the trenches. But that is the minority, and it's not the masses of this Bay Area. Well, a a major portion of what you said did affirm actually what I was talking about. Now, when you say the churches aren't doing it, I would say this. That's yes and no. Because obviously, I, you know, I'm I'm a I'm in the trenches on a lot of levels. I you know I, I don't have to. That's why I'm defending the people that I know that are out there. Um, and I don't dichotomize uh, Misty because I'm a pastor. I love the church. I don't dichotomize between the formal church of gathering to hear the word of God and pray and and and, and love on one another in the church and then go out into the battlefield. I don't dichotomize. It's all one and the same. You got to huddle up. I think you're disobedient when you're not part of a faithful uh, gospel church and huddling up to go. We huddle up. And then we go and we're going in all sorts of ways, um, in all sorts of ways. And, yeah, you're going to have people sitting around talking for hours because somebody needs to be loved on that way. You're going to have people uh, uh, paying for hotel rooms because the family is broken here. That I could finish the program by giving you a litany of examples on that. regard. There are two churches or three churches or the narrow churches that are doing it very well. Right, but, but there is the narrative, and Jesse, this is this is the but, thing. But I don't, don't want to go in circles on that. Misty, you know why I don't want to do that? Misty, Misty, I'm going to pod you down. I'm going to pod you down. I'm going to pod you down, Misty. I'm a, sorry, because you don't want to hear what I'm saying. So I, I, I tell our church this. This is what I'm going to say to you guys, and I'm going I'm to take Sally. And I'm gonna, I tell our church this. This is what I tell our church as a pastor. Stop rubbernecking. Don't rubberneck. Right. So be very careful, child of God. You can write this down. You can call me next week. You can get mad. I don't care. When you do good works for God, please hear me now. Don't do it to receive any kind of accolade. And you'll know that you're trying to receive accolade when you look for an opportunity to tell somebody what you're doing. Don't do that. Just do it and know this. If you're quietly doing it without telling somebody you're doing it and and telling somebody somebody else should be doing it. And I know church folk do that all the time. If you're doing it quietly and just trusting the Lord for rewarding you and you're holding your peace. Because, see, if you tell me that you did a good work, you cleaned up the, the garbage at Walgreens, that's your reward. That's it. You don't get one from Christ. That's it. Be careful, ladies and gentlemen, about what you and I think we see with our little narrow eyes about what people of God are doing. And yes, our churches probably could do more, but that's always been the case even with the disciples. Do you know the disciples did not go out and preach the gospel until, as Misty said, persecution hit in Acts chapter 8. They were comfortable in Jerusalem, but as I told Angela, that's the way that it always has been. We'll get busy. When the persecution comes, in the meanwhile, the saints who know 
and uh, are doing exploits because they know their God will continue to do exploits. And we don't need to sit here and, and dichotomize between the church folk we think aren't doing anything and the ones we think are. No, don't do that. That will be the only reward you get when you talk like that. Read your Bible, Matthew chapter 5 and 6. Christ told the disciples, don't you do it. Don't you blow a trumpet talking about what you're doing versus what other people are not doing. That is not the gospel. Let me go to line number three and talk with Sally to close out the program. Hi, Sally. Wow. Uh, I'll try and make it brief. Let God be true and all men be liars. If there's anyone that doesn't know how to to uh, read the Bible, doesn't understand why we think it's important, the Old Testament is a foundation for the new. Mm-hmm. If you read Proverbs 8, mm-hmm. and the New Testament is the explanation for the old, and read John 8. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can read both. You didn't have to quit. we got four minutes. Um, well, you know, it, it. I didn't realize until today that they both talk about the great I Am. Sure. And the great I Am is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The Word of God, yeah. Jesus is the part of the great I am, and and I was just blown away by comparing those two chapters. Yeah, that that you know it's uh, we can't have a Christian religion. We have to have a Christian Bible. I agree, uh, and and that Christian Bible is from Genesis to Revelation. I preach it all the time. It's called a hymn book, Sally. Did you hear that one before? Amen. It's called a hymn book, H I M book. It's about Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, from Genesis to Revelation. His story. Hmm? His story. It's his story, and yeah, that's what the New Testament does. It affirms and fulfills and explains what was prophesied uh, historically and uh, redemptively and uh, in patterns and pictures and prophecies. And so there's only one Bible, one revelation, one covenant, one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one church. Uh, and and that's just the way that it is. It's a beautiful reality, um, if we could all if we could all walk in it. So yeah, thank thank you for reminding us that we need to see um, the Father through the Son because God's invisible. I tell people all the time, you're never going to see the Father. You're only going to see the Son. And in seeing the Son, you're going to see the Father through the Son. But you can't see the Son without the Holy Ghost because the goal of the third person is to reveal the second, and the role of the second is to reveal the first. And when you can see the Father accurately, it's because you have seen the Son, and you have seen the Son because the Spirit of God has made him known to you. And when we see Christ in reality and in the fullness of his beauty, as you had stated, the great I am that I am, as John's gospel so fully explicates it, it should move us to love God radically uh, and to be conformed to the image of Christ characteristically and in our conduct as well. So we're talking today about trying to be better believers in our world, but it starts with knowing God. And I think you were implicating that we've got to know him rightly. We got to know him richly. We've got to know him deeply. We've got to know him passionately. We have got to know God in a radical way and then let God by his grace, move us out into our communities right where we are and in the humble fashion that he called his disciples to walk in. Just try to influence people right where you are, just right where you are. Let let God be the one determining how much work we do, do how much work we get done, and what the quality of that. That's going to be an awesome day when God alone is able to give you praise for all that you've done in his name by his grace. Until then, Lord willing, we'll talk next week. Um, keep your eyes on Christ.
Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group. All rights reserved.